from Leviticus chapter 23. Now, for those of us who are part of our fellowship, you'll know that we as a, as a church, and I hope that a great number of people are being able to do this with their family and to be able to uh, read through the scriptures as we have been doing. And uh, you will have gone through Leviticus and you might have thought to yourself, and if you're a young person here this morning, you'd have thought, yes, it was incredibly hard work. It wasn't easy at all. Well, I hope that you didn't miss chapter 23, which is uh, a fascinating chapter. Uh, It's a chapter which helps us to understand what goes on in the lives of Jewish people. Uh, To this day, even those that uh, hold to the Jewish calendar and so on. You see, the one thing that I have discovered, and I think you all discover it as we get older, when you're uh, a young person here this morning, uh, you perhaps don't think about time very often because as far as you're concerned, you've got acres of time. You've got more time than you can imagine. And you're perhaps wishing time to go faster so that you can become old enough. Uh, Some of our uh, young teenage boys here, for example, are wishing that time would allow them to be able to drive a motor car or a truck or something And uh, they want to become um, 16 or 17, whenever it is that you're allowed to do that. And so you discover that time has different effects on us. Uh, But all of us are in one way or another captives of time. We recognize that day by day, hour by hour. We look at our watches uh, and I've taken mine off. And I've told you the story about the uh, preacher who always took his watch off. And the little boy in the front says, Daddy, why does he do that? To which the father replied, I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) Okay. Think about it for a moment, but uh, I'll keep my watch there. And so we discover that we can be uh, captive by clocks and watches. When uh, uh, Eloise, our little one-year-old, goes to Opa and Omar's house, she goes up to the clock and goes, tick-tock, tick-tock, because it makes a noise. And you can hear time ticking away. We plan for the future. We set dates. Many of us carry diaries around. I'm not one of those people who carry diaries around, and that may explain quite a lot as far as you're concerned. We have calendars, and of course, we do this to remind us about appointments, about special days, whether you've got to go uh, for an appointment to see somebody. Maybe you've got a dental appointment, and well, perhaps you're being reminded on a daily basis that you need to go and see the dentist because your tooth is hurting But of course, we're reminded about things like birthdays. We're reminded about special uh, events. Gentlemen, uh, your anniversary, your wedding anniversary should be a date that is in there to uh, be reminding you of. And uh, those are the sort of things that we do. All of us are captives of time. That is, of course, except God. Because God is not shackled by time. God is eternal. We know these things and we rejoice in these facts. God lives above time, if you like. He's outside of time. Uh, To God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, as the Scriptures tell us. However, this doesn't mean that God is not so interested in us that He has His calendar. And He has a calendar which is recorded for us very clearly in the Scriptures. And if you've been able to read uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, you will recognize God's calendar very clearly very quickly. So he does have a calendar. And as you begin to think about the fact that God has a calendar, you suddenly recognize that it is very important, that it is vital that we, as his people, those of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognize that he has this calendar because his calendar is applicable to us in our lives. Now, some of you might be saying, well, if you're Jewish, that's fine. 
I want to show you something this morning, and I'm sure all of us have realized this before, that each of the feasts that are recorded for us here in Leviticus chapter 23 have an important part to play in our lives because they speak so clearly and in such detail, frightening detail if you would like to put it that way, about the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. So we can like to, uh, sometimes you hear people who will say, uh, I'm not interested in the Old Testament, not interested in and never read it. Who'd want to read the Old Testament? All about battles, all about things that you don't want to hear about. And uh, sometimes we can become separated or we separate, separate in our mind God's Word. And I just want to say this to you very, very clearly. Don't be tempted to fall into that category. Don't be tempted to think to yourself that everything that took place uh, in the Old Testament is of no relevance, no, uh, nothing applicable to us. Because as we look at these feasts today, as we look at the calendar that we have before us that God has put together, yes, originally for the Jewish nation, but as we see the way that it interlinks, so you can imagine your two hands coming together and suddenly that's the strength of uh, you know, some of our young people. You've done that trick where you put someone's foot in it and then flick them backwards and you hope and pray they land on their feet when they go over. But that's the strength that you can find when these are put together. And that, of course, is the strength that we have in God's word because God doesn't waste a single, a single word, a dot on an I or a cross on a T. Nothing's wasted. It's for us and it's applicable. And so we never turn our back upon any aspect of God's word. Just let me say that uh, our young people, you should have received your message sheets uh, here this morning. And uh, I am going to say, if anybody would like to uh, show me their completed one, then next week there will be a prize if you've been able to get all the answers from our message today. So at this particular moment in time, you should have had the first two questions answered on your sheets. And if you have a phone, you can always do it interactively, which uh, you, can, um, you can go to our church um, app, app and uh, you can find it in the message app, although we've sent out a link so you can find it straight away. It's important that we see God's calendar because you know what God is doing in this world and you know what is really important in our lives and what you and I should be doing. So that's what's important for us. God tells us, he explains very clearly all the aspects of the Christian life and we see them clearly shown here in Leviticus 23 and these feasts that were given <clears throat> to the Jewish nation originally. Uh, but for those of us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see such great joy. God's calendar was given originally to the Jewish nation. It's found there in Leviticus 23. And in Leviticus 23, you find the listing of seven very special events that took place every year in the nation of Israel. And I would add, still does in the nation of Israel. And uh, we are able to rejoice. Um, I think it was last year about this time when we celebrated the Passover meal together as a fellowship. And it was a joy to be able to do that. This year we had so many things happening. Um, I spoke to Leslie and we felt it was right that we uh, uh, leave it for this year. But um, we're looking forward perhaps to next year when we can meet together and to do that again. <clears throat> Now this morning, what we're going to do, and I have to say it's a tall order, but please bear with me and we'll do the very best we can. I want to look over 
chapter 23 first of all and basically go through and list each of the seven um, uh, feasts that are mentioned for us very very briefly look at them and the application that they have but then I want to finish by bringing us back to the first feast which is the feast of the Passover and that's for obvious reasons because uh, this year uh, is the first year that um, uh, for the for, for, for the Christian calendar and for the Jewish calendar and for the Islamic calendar it's the first year for, for about four decades that Ramadan has fallen at the same time of the year as, uh, as Passover and also Easter. So there's some significance as to how these things happen. So what we're going to do is look at the feasts first and then we're going to come back and we will look at the Passover very, very quickly, very briefly and then we're going to meet around the Lord's table together and then we're going to be able to see some of the application and you'll begin to see why the video that we watched was a help because uh, some of the things and incidentally I didn't know about the video until this morning and and, uh, and when I saw it I felt it was right to bring it in to our service because of the message that was prepared a week ago so the Lord is uh, is speaking to us so firstly the record of the feast in Leviticus 23 clearly speak to us of a God who is ordered. That's very important that we understand this. Sometimes people can get the idea that Christians live a chaotic sort of life. If that's the impression that you are getting from the church that you go to, and sometimes, and I've been to some churches in the past, where you would absolutely agree that it seems to be sheer chaos that's running the day. But our God is not a God of chaos. Our God is a God of order. And as we see the calendar that he has presented, we understand that very, very clearly, that God has ordered certain things to happen in certain ways at certain times in our lives. And sometimes we as believers and as churches try and change the order around, and we need to be very careful about doing that. And I would use the example for, uh, for a moment of just simply saying that baptism in the scriptures is always following belief. We see that very, very clearly. And so we need to be careful uh, when we change the order of things and we need to recognize that God is a God of order. He does things decently. Uh, he does things in a set pattern. God has planned what is going to take place. Now, we don't have all the details, of course, but the general scope of God's prophetic program is also given here in Leviticus 23. Now, there are some people that might be surprised at that statement, but we can see that the calendar that God has and has presented for us here in Leviticus 23 also flows right the way through time. So it's not just looking at one year on a cycle so that people in uh, uh, Jewish people would look at the cycle and it would start again and it would start again. But I believe that we also see a cycle, a calendar at work which runs throughout the history, God's history. Somebody said to me, history says his story. Now that's an interesting way of looking at it. His story. So the first thing then that we see is that God is a God of order. The second thing that we see at this particular point, that we should look at these feasts because they tell us what we have in Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> this is a very, very important point for us to understand. What it is that we have in Jesus Christ. And sometimes people can become confused over this. And these feasts help us to be able to understand very clearly what it is 
that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guess the saddest thing of all is to recognize there are people, mainly Jewish people, who would celebrate these feasts and never understand the great joy that there is in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ at work within these feasts and seeing God at work within these feasts in the way that we can as we look forward into the Scriptures, as we go forward into the New Testament. Because, of course, the New Testament enables us to understand many of the types, many of the pictures that are shown for us in the Old Testament, and we rejoice in that. So, secondly, we see that the feasts tell us what we have in Jesus Christ. You see, Leviticus 23 is not a list of funerals. It's not a list of fights. It's not a list of bad things going on. It lists a series of feasts. Now, this is something else that worries me from time to time. Don't you think to yourself, isn't it sad that so many Christians seem never to be in a festive mood? They never seem to show any real joy. Somebody once said to me, well, why would I ever want to be a Christian? Have you seen the faces of Christians, particularly on a Sunday morning? And... uh, I think we need to think about this very carefully because God has instituted feasts and festivals. And we discover that the Christian life should be a series of feasts. And we're going to explain that, I hope, in just a few moments. But it's imperative that we understand this. And so we see this uh, very clearly that God is actually inviting us to be his guests. Um, I I find that absolutely fascinating, that God's invitation is being extended to us. And he's calling to us to be able to rejoice and to enjoy this Christian life that is given to us. So never, never, never should we ever be seen as people who are miserable. You know, we've got heaven assured for us. We've got the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ personally in our hearts. And so we should be able to show to people that we enjoy his fellowship. So thirdly, uh, we should study these feasts because they tell us what we as Christians ought to be doing in this world. They tell us what Christians, as Christians, we ought to be doing in this world. And for young people, that means that you should now have five complete answers on your sheets. If you have less, don't panic. Go back to, uh, to, the, uh, to the next one. If anyone can tell me how to put numbers on word document so my computer person if you can speak to me afterwards i would be very grateful and uh, and how to do it in the church app as well we study these feasts because these feasts tell us what we as christians ought to be doing in the world there is much to enjoy in the christian life but here's the thing there's a great deal to be accomplished in the christian life there should be no unemployed believers There shouldn't be people that get up and walk out of church on a Sunday and put their Bible on a shelf when they get home and never think about the gospel, never think to talk to people where they work, the people they meet at school or college or university. And then on Sunday morning you pick it back up and you come out to church. There is much to be accomplished. We should be busy. We should be busy about our master's service. What good is a servant if we don't do anything? And the Lord Jesus Christ, as you read Mark's gospel particularly, you see there the picture of the busy Lord Jesus. Because he's got a message to share. 
And he doesn't stop in sharing it. And so we too should be those who have a great deal to be accomplished as the Lord works in us. And I trust that you and I, as we study these, uh, these feasts together, will learn what it means to participate in the blessing of God made possible through Jesus Christ. Leviticus 23 lists seven feasts. And of course, they're all centered in the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at them. Uh, these are, are, are not the feasts of men. Very important that we understand this. Sometimes people seem to think that... Uh, it's interesting how whenever we have a meal at church, everybody comes. It's wonderful to see everybody because there's a meal uh, going and it's, uh, it's something that will often bring people out. But these are the feasts of God. They're the feasts of the Lord, we're told. And you see, when the Lord is left out of all of this, what does it become? It just becomes man's feast. It just becomes something we want to do. So we can't leave the Lord out of it. We must never be tempted to do that. If we do, then it's not God's feast in any way. So let's briefly look at each of these seven feasts and let's get the broad scope of this chapter. And then uh, uh, today we'll finish by specifically considering for just a few moments the Passover. Leviticus uh, chapter 23 verses 4 and 5 say, These are the feasts of the Lord even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month, at evening is the Lord's Passover. This, of course, speaks of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we read these words, Jesus Christ is our Passover. Jesus Christ is our Passover. So immediately we see the link between the Passover and between the Lord Jesus Christ. And the video helped us to understand the father with his two little kids. And he says to the kids, don't let the lamb run away. Okay. And our father in heaven is saying to each of us now, don't let the lamb run away. For you personally, you need to see the Lamb. You need to meet with the Lamb. Our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. Egypt is a picture of the world. Israel in Egypt is a picture of condemned people in bondage to the world. And these people are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So God begins his calendar here in Leviticus 23. God begins his calendar with the shedding of blood. And unless you know Jesus Christ as your own lamb, as your savior, then these feasts have absolutely no application to you whatsoever. And you're missing out on all the blessings simply because you have never come by way of faith in Jesus Christ. Now the next day after Passover, and for one week, that means from the 15th day to the 21st day, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 6 tells us this, On the 14th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. 
And there are some of us, I believe, in our homes that have attempted to do this. We've removed the leaven in our homes for this seven-day period. So we notice that the Jewish people not only shed the blood of the Lamb, and they applied it to the doorposts as they were told to in Exodus 11 and 12, but they feasted on the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ is not only the Lamb who died for us, but He is the one who sustains us and He strengthens us. You see, there's no point in coming to know Jesus and then carrying on living your life as you did before. You need to be feeding on Jesus if you want to see a change in your heart and in your life. The people gathered together around the Lamb. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of putting away all the leaven out of their homes. And for the next week, they had to be sure that there was no leaven, no yeast that was to be found anywhere in their homes. And just so that you know, leaven or yeast is what makes bread Go nice and fluffy, okay? And of course, in the Bible, leaven generally is a picture of evil. It's a picture to us that after we have been saved, after we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, after we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, then we put evil out of our lives. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and he said, he said that we should put away from ourselves all filthiness, of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Begin to see the connection and the links. Now something else was true. The day following the Sabbath day that followed Passover was the first was the feast of first fruits. And this you find in verses nine to fourteen of Leviticus twenty three, the feast of first fruits. Notice please the actual day. It's important. Now it is the day following the Sabbath that followed Passover. Now the Sabbath day, of course, was always the seventh day of the week. Sometimes you hear people, perhaps your parents or whatever, describing Sunday as being the Sabbath day. Well, of course, don't be confused by that uh, because uh, today is the first day of the week. It is not the seventh day. And so we rejoice because our Lord rose from the tomb on the first day of the week. But the Sabbath day, of course, was the seventh day of the week. And this would mean that the Feast of first fruits was on the first day of the week. Right? And the Feast of first fruits is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we turn to the New Testament, Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 15:23 and we read this Jesus Christ the first fruits so again we see the link uh, to uh, this uh, festival that is recorded in uh, Leviticus 23 the priest would go out into the harvest field and he would bring a sheaf of the harvest it would be presented before the lord and it would be given in dedication to him and it's a picture that the entire harvest belongs to the lord the Feast of first fruits pictures the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then they waited 50 days in between first fruits and Pentecost. Now, I was amazed, or I've been amazed, how few people, when they talk about Pentecost in Acts, fail to understand that Pentecost was a Jewish feast. Okay, and it's 50 days 
after Easter. And if you come from a European country, like the United Kingdom or the Netherlands, you discover that Pentecost is still a holiday. You get a day off work for it. Now, it is fair to say, certainly in Great Britain, that almost nobody in the entire population knows why we've got a day off. We don't, people don't understand it. But you can see the impression, the power it made, that Christian countries wanted to celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So there was a day set aside to be able to do that. The word Pentecost simply means 50. And there were 50 days between first fruits, the resurrection, and Pentecost. And of course, Pentecost is that day when the Holy Spirit came down. And so we have the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost pictured in the Feast of Pentecost. It's really remarkable, as we've said already, how these Old Testament pictures all dovetail so beautifully with the New Testament record that we have. Now, there's an interesting thing that takes place in between the Feast of Pentecost and the next feast is a gap of about three months. And you'll notice that the Feast of Trumpets comes on the first day of the seventh month. And that's recorded for us in Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25. On the first day of the seventh month was the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Jewish people used trumpets to gather the assembly together. They used trumpets to declare war. They used trumpets to announce that there was going to be a moving of the camp in the wilderness. And so if you're working through your sheets, uh, young folks, you should have now been able to answer 12 questions from the answers that have been given. And this speaks to us, of course, of the gathering of Israel. But it also applies to us as New Testament Christians in the rapture of the church. Because you and I are waiting for the sound of the trumpet. We're waiting for the voice of the archangel. And I'm going to tell you this. The archangel is practicing his trumpet. Because it's going to sound soon. And we need to be listening. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall return to gather his own when that trumpet sounds. There were three feasts that took place in the seventh month. On the first day was the Feast of Trumpets. And then on the tenth day, we have the Day of Atonement. And then from the 15th to the 21st, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now each of these three feasts in the seventh month applies specifically to Israel. We believe that there is a future for Israel. I believe there is a future for Israel. There are many people who don't. And when I listen and watch the news and read my news app, and I see things happening in this last two or three weeks, we've seen a peace conference taking place in Jerusalem. The first one recorded in modern history. When Islamic nations have sent representatives to Jerusalem to talk about peace. We must keep our eyes clearly on what's going on. We do not believe that everything that Israel does today is necessarily what it ought to be doing. We do not believe that we should get involved in the political ramifications of Israel. 
But in the spiritual realm, God has a great future for Israel. Now the Feast of Trumpets, the gathering of the people of Israel, the Day of Atonement, the cleansing of the people of Israel. The Feast of Tabernacles, the kingdom that shall be established and Israel shall enter into her glory. So these three feasts in the seven month have their specific application to Israel. But there is also an application to us as believers today. Certainly we are waiting for the Feast of Trumpets in the sense that we're going to be called to be with our Lord Jesus. Those of us who have come to faith. If you haven't and you hear the trumpet, you'll wish that you had been ready. We are a sinful people. And we need to have things dealt with in our lives. And this speaks to us of the judgment seat of Christ, when everything is going to be made right, when the bride of Christ will be made without spot. That, of course, refers to the church, to those of us who have come to faith, who are believers, without spot, without wrinkle, without any stain. And then we're going to enter into that marvelous time of glory and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the seven great feasts. This is what they speak to us of, uh, the spiritual history of God's people. They are God's calendar. But also they speak of their application to us as believers. So quick recap, Passover, Jesus dies for us. First fruits, Jesus is raised from the dead. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, putting away sin from our lives and feeding on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, where the power and the strength to live for God, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ comes from. Trumpets, God's gathering of his people, atonement, God cleansing his people. Feast of Tabernacles, God sharing his blessing in the kingdom with his people. And we could say <coughs> that this is a declaration of independence for Israel in the Passover that we find recorded for us in Leviticus 23. And we read this in the 14th day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. The, uh, Passover. This was a declaration for them of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It meant life because those who were not protected by the blood were slain. Do you see the significance? It meant liberty because Israel was delivered from bondage. They were taken out of slavery and they were brought into the promised land. And it meant the pursuit of happiness because they're on their way to the promised land. And now we bring our service, the message part, to a close this Easter Sunday by turning back to Exodus 11 and 12. And again, if you've time to read those chapters when you get home, uh, please do so. Where we have the explanation of the feast of Passover. Exodus chapter 11, we're told that the lamb was needed. I say it again, the lamb was needed. Notice please, the Lord said to Moses, and again that came out in the video, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. 
They'd just gone through three days of darkness. Darkness that was so thick, it felt as though you could touch it. Have you ever been in that situation? I've said it before. If you've gone on one of those trips down a cave and the guy who's the, who's the, 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 the leader, the, the guide for you, he says, I'll switch the lights off. Flicks the switch and the darkness is crushing. And it feels so heavy. And you can't see your hand in front of your face. You can, you know, you can touch your eyeball and see nothing. And that's the darkness that we're talking about here. The darkness that was so thick and so great you couldn't feel anything. You could feel the weight of the pressure of it. And the children of Israel, they still had light in their dwellings. But Egypt was under the plague of darkness. The lamb was needed because the land was darkness, was in darkness. The lamb was needed because God's people were in bondage. And over and over again in the book of Exodus, we have the bondage of Israel mentioned, slavery. You've got to remember that the nation of Israel in Egypt was a nation of slaves. You know, they weren't there on holiday. They weren't there on vacation. They hadn't gone to Sharm El Sheikh on the Red Sea for a holiday. They weren't going out snorkeling to see the fish on the reef. They weren't sitting on the beach enjoying the sunshine. They were there because they were slaves. And so the lamb was needed, according to Exodus chapter 11, because there was darkness over the land and because there was bondage. And there was even more than that. Death was coming. Verse 4 of Exodus 11 says, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant who is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall go out a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. Why? Because death was coming. You see, God has condemned our first birth. Need you to listen carefully. You've got to understand this. The firstborn were condemned to die. And God cannot accept your first birth or my first birth. God rejects our first birth. And all of us have been born. Now you may be proud of your first birth. You may think you were born into a great family, a wonderful family, a wealthy family. Everything's going right for you. You were born with great talent. You were born a fine, a pretty person. You know, there's the rest of us and then there's you. So you might be really happy with your first birth. But God rejects your first birth totally. 
And God says, you have to have a second birth. You have to be born again. And this is brought about through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the lamb was needed because Israel was in bondage. The lamb was needed because death was coming to the land. And the only people who could be saved from death were those who were protected by the blood of the lamb. Now in Exodus chapter 12, the lamb was chosen. We see this in verses uh, 1 to 5. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be upon you the beginning of months. Now isn't that a fascinating statement? This month, when Passover comes, shall be unto you the beginning of months. It's a wonderful verse and I hope that we'll all go away understanding the imperative of this particular verse for us. Now the Jewish civil calendar begins in the autumn of the year. But the Jewish religious calendar begins in the spring. It is the beginning of months. And for you, the beginning of God's calendar is when you're born again. When you have the second birth. That's the beginning of your calendar. That's the new beginning for you. And for us, with believers' baptism, we rejoice that we have baptism as the signal, the indicator. That this is where the beginning has come. Because our baptism demonstrates what we've gone through, what's happened to us, what Jesus has gone through, what he's done for us. And so the beginning of months for us is a joyful experience when we are obedient and we go through the waters of baptism. And it's a joy. Because you're born into a whole new schedule, a whole new program, and suddenly everything clicks into place. Suddenly you begin to see God's hand at work in your life all the time. You enter into God's calendar. It shall be the first day of the year to you, speaking to all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house and if the house be too small for the lamb let him and his neighbors next to his house take it together according to the number of souls every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb your lamb shall be without blemish a male in the first year you shall take it out from the sheep and out from the goats and you shall keep it listen to these words carefully and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month The lamb was needed, and then the lamb was chosen. Please notice that it's God's Passover. This was the Lord's Passover, not man's. All of this was about grace, all of it. God said, now get a lamb. That lamb has to be without blemish. That lamb has to be the very best that you have. The very best. And of course, this speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, oh, was he not the very best? Sinless. Not a blemish, not a wrinkle, nothing. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, we're told that he, Jesus, is the lamb without spot and without blemish. We are informed in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, 
Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. They chose the lamb on the 10th day. And do you know what they did for the next four days? What did they do? They watched it. Why would they watch it? Because they had to ensure that it was perfect. That there was nothing wrong with it. They had to watch it. To make sure that it was perfect. And when our Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, what did they do to him? They watched him. They studied him. They tested him. They questioned him. They even accused him. And when it was all over, what was it they had to say about the Lamb? What was it they had to say about Jesus? They had to admit that he was perfect. He was approved by God. God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He was approved even by man. Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with him. I find no fault in him. Even Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Even the demons knew that he was the son of God. And they bore witness to the fact that he was perfect. Jesus Christ is God's perfect lamb. But you'll notice in Exodus 12 verse 6 that the lamb was not chosen to be admired, to be looked at, to be watched in that sense. The lamb was chosen to be slain. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and they'll strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. The lamb was needed because death was coming. The lamb was needed because Israel was in bondage. The lamb was chosen but the lamb was to be slain. And I hear people talking about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and if you'll just follow the life of Jesus, everything will be fine. If we love people like Jesus loved them, everything will be okay. If we do all the right things, say the right things, go to church on Sunday. I'm not quite sure how that fits in with, with watching these things. But you see the picture. We've got this idea in our minds that just by being like Jesus, everything is going to be okay. By being like him, everything is okay. But being like Jesus won't save you. Trying to live a life like Jesus is not going to save you. You see, death is coming. Darkness is upon you. You are in bondage to sin. Now, many people have no concept of this in the world in which they live. But they are in bondage to sin. They are in bondage to the flesh. They are in bondage to the devil. And the only deliverance comes through the blood of the Lamb. That's what the scriptures say. Now, the blood had to be slain. And here's an important point. The blood had to be applied. You know, a Jewish man could know all about this. He could choose the perfect lamb. He could understand what had to take place, what had to happen. He could understand all of that, but his firstborn would still die. He'd shed the blood, but his firstborn would still die. For the simple reason the blood had not been applied to the doorposts as it should have been. You see, the blood cannot protect you from the condemnation 
that is coming unless it is applied. Limited atonement is a struggle for me. And the scripture that we have here explains it. Because the blood of Jesus, the scriptures tell us, was shed for the sins of the world. But it's the application of the blood that makes the difference. Has the blood been applied in your life? And what did they do? Well, they took what was called hyssop. And they dipped hyssop, it's a little plant, a herb of some description, into a basin where the blood had been caught. Now, I understand that hyssop is a very frail little shrub. It's just a little plant. But my friends, your salvation is not in the strength of your faith. Your salvation is in the blood. You see, even a weak, frail little shrub could be used to apply the blood. To apply it to the doorposts. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the blood. And if you'll just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust and your faith in him, then the blood of Jesus Christ saves you from sin. That's what the scriptures tell us. God saw the blood and he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Well, the blood had to be applied on the doorposts of the house. And the people had to be gathered inside the house. God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The blood had been shed, but it had to be seen. And I will not destroy you. We're very close to finishing now and uh, we'll move on to the Lord's Supper in just a moment. But I want you to just imagine a little Jewish boy sitting in the front room of his house and he looks up to his father and he says, Father, is the blood on the door? And the father looks at him and he says, Yes, son. The blood is on the door. And the boy says, but daddy, I don't feel safe. Daddy, I'm the firstborn, aren't I? I, I just don't feel safe. And the father says to his son, son, you are safe whether you feel it or not. Because the word of God assures us. God has said it, that you will not be slain. When I see the blood, says God, I'll pass over you. So the blood was for their safety. The word was for their assurance. And they could be sure that they were safe because God said so. I may be speaking to someone right now who's saying, oh yes, I've trusted Jesus Christ, but there are times when I feel so afraid. Well, my friend, you don't have to feel afraid. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what the circumstances are that you find yourself in, the blood has been shed. And if you have trusted Christ, you are safe under the blood.
It's the word of God. It's the word of God that gives us assurance. Do you believe in the word of God? It's applied to your heart and you have that perfect peace that comes to those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Is the lamb needed today? Shout yes. <laughs> because the world is filled with darkness and bondage and death. Bondage to sin. Has the lamb been chosen? Yes. And there's only one lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, can you say that he's not just a lamb? Can you say that he is not just the lamb? Can you say he is my lamb? Have you made his death applicable? The shedding of his blood applicable to your own heart? In other words, have you put the blood on the doorposts? And the lamb was slain and the lamb was victorious. And when the death angel came, those who were under the lamb were protected. Friends, this is where it all begins. You see, this is the beginning of months for you. This is the beginning. God's calendar is beginning in you at Passover. You're set free to serve God and enjoy life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness of God. I've always wanted to.